It was the Sabbath day. The Passover festival was complete, and on that day, Jewish people took pause and rest from the things of routine daily life. No work was allowed, at least not until the third star of the night was seen. Then the pattern of everyday life returned. I think that it can be assumed that the chief priests and the scribes had a sense of satisfaction on that holy Saturday. What they had set out to accomplish had been done. It was quite easy, really. A week that had started with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem had turned very quickly. And this to the benefit for those that sought to kill him. It was the crowds gathered. It was the crowd that demanded Jesus' death. Pilate had tried to convince them of Jesus' innocence, finally passing judgment just to satisfy the demand of the crowd as he was protecting himself from an uprising. Crucify him. In the end, Pilate washed his hands of the whole affair. But what of the disciples? Where were they on this Sabbath day? We hear that at least on that Easter morn that they were hiding in fear behind locked doors, protecting themselves from also being taken and killed by those wanting to seek those associated with Jesus. But what must have been going through their minds? This man that had been their teacher, who had done great things in their sight, the man Peter had confessed as the Messiah, the son of the living God, lay stone cold dead in a tomb. Mary Magdalene is concerned about anointing the body because by now, with all of that blood and the pierced side wound, surely his body must be starting to stink. But each of them had had a role in abandoning him, denying him, and like all of humankind, betraying him. The grim reality of it all was setting in. The one whom they had loved, the one whom they had trusted, the one in whom all of their hopes were attached, gone, dead, lying in a tomb. Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this night from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now there are many things that we put our trust in, many things that our hopes are attached to, in July of 2019, Pew Research published results of a survey conducted last year where a control group was asked about things that they trusted. And the results were astounding. What it showed was that for the most part, 72 out of 100 people say they generally can trust others. But a little, little deeper dive in this showed that there were conditions to this. It showed that generally, white, middle-aged men working in a vocation requiring a graduate-level degree are the most trusted people in this control group. But it also showed that young people or younger people are generally less trusting of others than older people. Generally, trust in our government as a whole was very low. The more existential thinking respondents said that you trust in yourself. You trust your family and friends 
and you can trust in your job. You trust that technology will be available when and where it is supposed to be. Things like electricity and the internet, cell phone service. One responder offered that if you really want to see what a person trusts, look in their wallet or their checkbook register. You do certainly trust in money, or at least the concept of it, because the object itself is not worth much at all. But of course, money wields great power in our lives. Its value is based fully on trust. Trust that the government can back its value. Trust that it has the same value to others. A dollar is a dollar of value. But for those of you that have traveled outside of this country, you certainly have a snapshot of the trust or not in the value of our money, sometimes worth more, sometimes less. As a side note, I read that in this time of pandemic, the general attitude of trust towards medical professionals is at an all-time high. But what I found most profound in the previous mention article, only a few responders mentioned trusting in God. And so I'm wondering today, do you trust God? A rhetorical question and maybe even a dangerous one, especially for someone in my vocational calling. Better yet, let me ask, what brings you here tonight? Easter Vigil is the unique worship opportunity to proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. But tonight is about us finding ourselves in the liminal space between humankind's worst day, the day of Christ's crucifixion, and the best day. That glorious Easter morn as the news is heard, I have seen the Lord. St. Augustine calls this time the Paschal Mystery, the time of waiting between death and life. And tonight we gather in vigil in old and new ways, and we gather in a pattern that our forefathers and foremothers in faith have gathered in for nearly 2,000 years. Tonight we find ourselves gathered in darkness that still clings to Good Friday. And yet we light the candle. We sing and we pray and we hear the great stories of God's faithfulness to his people. Stories that tell your salvation history and your place in that history. These powerful stories from the gospel of the Old Testament that not only remind us that God does what he says, but there is a fine red thread that we recognize from that very first in the beginning. The first words of the book of Genesis that travel all the way through 39 books of the, of the Bible until we get to Malachi. God's promises are given to his people. God's grace and his mercy is shown. And especially one point one points to the one God sent to redeem all of humankind to himself, the incarnational God, Jesus Christ. While we now sit in the tension of Christ's passion and his resurrection, 
You know what it is to be in the liminal space of your own life. For the last few weeks, we have isolated ourselves from one another in an effort to stave off our own liminal existence. You find yourself these days between life and death in words like cancer and dementia, terminal, divorce, downsizing, old, hate. This is where many of us live from time to time. And now we can add COVID-19 to that list. There are times that we experience the gut-wrenching pain of Good Friday, and there are times that we experience the jubilation of that Easter morning. But on this night, Holy Saturday, we are caught in the tension between death and resurrection. It is the valley of the shadow. It is being caught in the paradox between grief and unknowing, just like it was for the disciples. On Holy Saturday, they, like us, do not know what the future may bring, whether cancer will go into remission, or if we will love again, or if we will find a job that is fulfilling. Being in the liminal space between death and life is a time of uncertainty. But God does not leave you with nothing. No, tonight you sit and you cling to the promises that are given to you in baptism. Promises that are sure, promises that are certain, promises that you can trust. Because the reality of it is that nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of God's will and purpose and what God declares. What God declares is the only true and trustworthy thing in our lives. And so you cannot mess things up as sinners are prone to do. It is his promise that he makes to you so that he is the one that does what must be done. And so on this Easter vigil, it is God's promise that we cling to. It is God's promise that we put our trust in. It is God's promise where our hope lies. Because outside of God's promise, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that grants certainty except death. Jesus Christ, as God's only Son, received this same promise in his own baptism. Christ entered the water and received God's promise, and it is that promise that not only sustained Christ as he went to the cross to bear the burden of all humankind, to take on every sin of the world, but it is that very same promise that sustained him through death, through the grave, and it is the same promise that raised him in the resurrection. Death has been defeated in Christ's death and we no longer need to fear death. It does not have a final word over us. Jesus Christ does. For you that have been baptized, Christ has already done what needed to be done. God ensured it. 
as St. Paul reminds us that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And in your baptism, you suffer the only death that you will ever know. And that is the death of your sinful self. When you were baptized, you too were enclosed in that cold, dark tomb with Christ. The tomb that shattered sin and death in your life forever. And when the stone rolled away, when the water is washed over your head, you rise a new person, a person sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. And by the promises that claim you in your baptism, you have been made one with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection which ensures your salvation and along with it, eternal life. Your life is in Christ Jesus. So today, put your trust in God that in his Son, you are claimed forever in his mercy and by his grace as a child of God, an heir to all of Christ's benefits and a member of his royal family. In the history of the Lutheran Church, Easter Vigil was the time when new believers would be baptized, being washed of their sins and claimed by Christ's promises so that they could come on that Easter morning and celebrate in the joy of Easter morning with full confidence in salvation. Now tonight, we can't do this because of physical distancing. But we can affirm the promises with which we have been claimed by Christ. And so as we rise tomorrow, we hear the good news that Christ is risen in these promises that, that will take you sinners and make you saints. Thanks be to God. Amen.